This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello out there. Yes, hello everyone. This is film producer Hal Schwartz, and I'm here with my good buddy, Flynn McLean, who is a contributor to Backstreet's Magazine. And welcome to our new podcast, None But the Brave, which is dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Flynn, how are you doing tonight? Doing very well. Um, excited to be here. We've been talking about doing a podcast for quite a while, so I'm excited to finally hit record on it. We sure have. I'm excited, too. And before we get started, let's let people know we're going to be doing shows bi-weekly. And one of the major themes we're going to be looking at is how Bruce's work all fits together, including the threads that have run throughout his career from his 1973 debut, Greetings from Asbury Park, to present day. With that in mind, this week our topic of discussion is going to be Bruce's new record, Western Stars. Hal, I'll let you go first. What are your feelings about it? I really like the record. One of the things I like most is how cohesive it is. I think it's his most cohesive album probably since Tunnel of Love. I wouldn't put it quite in the same class as Tunnel of Love because to me that's one of the great albums of all time. But there's really a lot here to get into and discuss. Now, I think before we start, we should probably mention in Bruce's autobiography, he talks about that after his 60th birthday, he went into a very deep depression that lasted 18 months. That would cover the period of 2009 to 2011. That's interesting here because the genesis of these songs was 2010, according to Ron Aniello, the producer of the record, along with Bruce. They started working on it that year. Oh, I totally agree. This is his depression album. And one aspect of depression is that you don't have hope. None of these characters in these songs have hope. They just want to survive to the next day. And he um, said it best. What are we without hope in our hearts? Exactly. That was the question he asked in uh, Across, Across the, the Border. Border. Yes. To me, this album is the answer to that question. And it's just really not pretty. They just want to, these guys just want to get up in the next day with their boots on, to use the metaphor from the title track. And also from the title track, I just want to point out one particular line that really sums up a lot of this album. These days, there ain't no more. Now there's just again. Yeah, I totally agree with what you just said there. And I think one of the other fascinating aspects here is that, of course, Bruce did release a record in 2012. That was Wrecking Ball. Now, that record would also date to this period that he writes about in the book where he was suffering from depression. And Wrecking Ball does have a song entitled This Depression on it. But I think listening to both records, Wrecking Ball has quite a different feel than Western Stars winds up having. Oh, absolutely. Western Stars has a totally different feel than from Wrecking Ball. You mentioned the song This Depression. And what makes that song so different than everything on Western Stars is that the uh, the narrator is he's reaching out he says i need your heart uh to someone and that's something that nobody on uh, on western stars does and of course then you have the song that bruce first debuted live in 1999 that made its studio uh debut on on wrecking ball which is land of hope and dreams so you have a lot of hope and dreams right there which is totally bereft on western stars so I think we should get into the individual tracks. Obviously, I guess we'll start with track one, right? That's a good place to start, yes. So Hitchhiking, what do you think about it? 
Well, I think it's the perfect opener for this album. It really does set up the themes of rambling without any kind of roots, of the isolationism that is prevalent throughout the rest of the record. And it has a very, the, there's a, a disconnect between the lyrics and the music, which obviously is intentional. Right. The lyrics come across as very happy-go-lucky. I'm just out wherever the wind takes me. I don't care about a map. I just go. But the music, on the other hand, is, is very dark, and it gets darker as the song progresses. Totally. That works for me. There's a sense of desolation in this song that really gets to me. And I think as he's telling the story within the song, if we look at the verses, it really becomes apparent. In the first instance, he's picked up by a family man who gives him a ride and has his pregnant Sally at his side. The second person who comes and gets him is a trucker who's got a picture of his pretty girl on the dashboard. And the third person is a gearhead in a souped up 72. And the only thing that guy wants to do is show him how great his car is. And then they go whizzing off into the distance. And there's a real, uh, progression there that he's getting further and further from personal connection and from community. And obviously that is certainly the case as they go off into the distance and he's hitchhiking all day long. Well, I would take the, um, the scenarios or the people who pick him up. And even after the young guy in the, the gearhead and the souped up 72, after that, he's just, he, he's all by himself. He's alone, which I guess is kind of the point of, of hitchhiking. I think it is. And I, I guess a question that I have here is as the characters headed out into this open road, perhaps with desolation ahead, is this character searching for personal connection and community? It seems like, as you're pointing out here, perhaps he's not in this song, but if it's the same character that continues through the record, I think as we investigate some of the other songs, the answer is going to be, yes, he is looking for a personal connection. Right. And but he's trying to tell himself that he he doesn't want that connection or doesn't need that connection, that he takes pride in being the the Lone Ranger in some fashion. And I think those kind of denials and lies that these narrators tell themselves is a huge theme throughout the album. For sure. And I think it continues very clearly into the next song, which is The Wayfarer. You can really argue that the the first half of the Wayfair is in, is just is a continuation of hitchhiking. Just that this time the the, the narrator actually has a car instead of, instead of having to hitchhike. With that in mind, I do think one of the important distinctions here, and we get it in the bridge, the character here is singing, "Where are you now? Where are you now? Where are you now?" So in the first song, we felt like there wasn't a lot of personal connection, and the character was heading out into the desolate open road here. There is an early indication when you're saying, where are you now? You're, you're searching for something that's lost and presumably it's, it's a love that is lost. Yes. And that really, I mean, that's, and that's the rest of the record basically. I think it is. And one other notable aspect of the song here in the chorus, he's singing, my wheels are hissing up the highway, spinning round and round. To me, this is the first indication on this record of monotony. Uh, when you think of a spinning wheel that never stops, that is monotonous. And these characters are experiencing, I think, that in their daily lives where not much is happening and they're getting up, they're living their day, they're going to sleep, they're getting up and living the next day, and the same thing is repeating. 
and 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 they're not making much personal connection and they're not engaging in much community and that is their lives yeah they're kind of on the to quote another band on the road to nowhere but <laughs> that, but, yeah. but what struck me about about the refrain about reels hissing round and round is i i think back to to valentine's day where in that one he's he's rushing up the highway in the dark but it's a literally a 180 degree difference in the, in the destination and in Wayfarer, he's on, on the road to, to nowhere, which he'll do over and over again. Whereas in Valentine's day, he's on his way home to his love. I think that's a really nice point. And as far as being on a road to nowhere, I'm not so sure about that because I think we know where he's going next and it's Tucson. Perfect. Perfect. There you go. Then that brings us to track number three, Tucson train. This is, this was what the, th was this the second track released? Uh, I think it was the third, I believe. Uh... Oh, right. It was Hello Sunshine, There Goes My Miracle in Tucson Train. Correct. And when this one was released, I mean, this is probably, just in terms of sound, this is one of the more E Street Band sounding songs on the record. Perhaps not as much as Sleepy Joe's Cafe, but you can sort of see the band playing this one, whereas I think a lot of the other tracks, it would be more of a stretch. Oh, absolutely. When I um, I first heard it, I didn't watch the video when I first heard it. I was listening to it on the iPad. It did. It gave me that that sense of excitement that I feel when I hear a new E Street song, for better or for worse. Obviously, this album is not E Street by any stretch. Well, and it's funny. That's one of the reasons. Not that I didn't like the song, but I vastly preferred uh, "Hello Sunshine" and "There Goes My Miracle" because it was very different than you know standard Bruce and E Street band material. Now, this oh. one has grown on me quite a bit, and lyrically, I think it contains a lot of the secrets to the record here. Oh, absolutely. This is the first one where he talks directly about leaving a love behind. Uh, in the first two songs, he's, he's just going. And then in this one, we finally see that he's left his baby behind in, in Frisco. And love was in vain, but you know, now he's looking for a new life. Uh, that's that's very explicit. I mean, if we think it's the same character as the previous two songs, it does shine a, a very illuminating as to what might be going on in the head of the characters in Hitchhiking and The Wayfarer if we think it's the same person. You're probably right that they are the same character or the, or the same type of character. I just find it so interesting that even in the first first verse, he says he got... You know, he was down and out in Frisco. He got tired of the pills in the rain, but he'd left a good thing behind. Well, um, and the, the pills to me are, is a very interesting aspect of the song because is he talking about what was that? Were those prescription pills? What pills, uh, you know, was he was he on something for depression? Was he self-medicating? I mean, you know, like what's going on there? Because that's a weird thing to say. You left the town because of the pills. You could see leaving a town where it rains all the time, but you would think the pills would go with you. He just associated pills with the town that he felt by leaving the town, he would leave the pills behind. But my focus is more on the fact that he was down and out, but he had a good thing. To me, that shows this is the first example of what I consider a main theme of the record, which is guys who blew a good thing. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's a major theme here. And I think he's very clear about it. The character here is searching for a new life and he has clear regrets, but there's just one thing he wants, and that's for his love to come back. And, I mean, it's really sad if you think about it. And at, as we get to the end of the song, all he wants to do is show her that he's changed. Well, and I'm going to jump in on there and say that, well, I have two points there. 
The first is, it sounds to me like he's searching for the geographic cure, which is, okay, I'm miserable here. I'm going to go somewhere else and, and be better. But that's that's a myth. Wherever you go, there you are. You take all your baggage with you. There's just, your problems go with you no matter how far you go. My second point is, this is the one one of two songs in the record that actually has some hope in it. You get the feeling that she's really not on that train. She's, he's just hoping that she is. Well, and that's talking about our thing about day after day. Does he go to sit by this train every day waiting for her to show up? Well, that's that, well, that's a good question. But the point I was trying to make anyway was that these are myths that he's probably, these are lies he's telling himself. That she's going to be on that train, that he can change, and now she's coming back to him. And I, I bet you that in reality, he, that's going to be an over three. It's certainly not answered. I mean, obviously, the final line with here she comes, and that's a nice duality there because the here she comes <laughs> could refer to the train or could refer to his girl. I think it's probably referring to the train. Yeah, here comes the train again, and she's not going to be on it. Sorry, Mr. Springsteen, she's not there. Yeah, I, you know, you really wonder what was going through his head. I mean, we talked about the fact he was extremely depressed, it sounds like, when he was writing this record based on what he wrote in the autobiography. But there's a real sense of bleakness here. And I think, and we'll discuss this as we go on, most Springsteen albums and, in fact, his his work in the broader sense, his stage work, the concerts and everything, there is, I, I think, more of a sense of hope that, doesn't really seem to be here. It's 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 very bleak. Oh, absolutely. It, it's very bleak. There is no hope on this record except these. There are two songs, Tucson and uh, and Sundown, which there's some fake hope or some false hope, but that's it. Well, you know, we talked about Tunnel earlier, and if you think back to the Tunnel of Love Express tour, which had the uh, thematic tagline. This is not a dark ride, even though it was a dark record. He was they were very explicitly saying, you know, on the tour, this is not a dark ride. And what did that set end with? At least the main set. Light of day. Yeah. I mean, so you were just around the corner to the light of day. So whatever darkness was contained in on the record and in the show at the end there, uh, you know, what better hope is there than being just around the corner to the light of day? I think that that's really it's it's not as present here which does distinguish it from his other work oh yeah yes this this is a different record this is his depression album you know i'm glad that uh we're talking about it and let's go on to the next track which is track number four western stars the title track this is one of my favorite two tracks on the record along with moonlight motel i love the imagery in this song uh it just really gets me every time i listen to it well, which imagery resonates the most with you? Well, the opening two lines to begin with, I wake up in the morning just glad my boots are on instead of empty and the whispering grass is down the five at Forest Lawn. Forest Lawn is a cemetery in Los Angeles. Just the, the fact that this is a guy whose first thought when he wakes up is he's just glad that he's still there. Well, let's contrast that line then to one of his most famous lines in Badlands, it ain't no sin to be glad you're alive. This guy is not... He's not happy to be alive. He's just kind of relieved. He doesn't seem to have much joy, uh, really, as the song is going on. It, it's all about loss. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. It, it seems like he's lost a time and a place that he really valued, you know, whether it was his career. Uh, I know there's that line that you like, 
uh, hell these days there ain't no more. There's just again. Exactly. To me, that line sums up a lot of the album. These guys are just, they're just happy. I mean, they're not even happy. They're just relieved to wake up and live another day, but they have no hope. Before we even go on, we should point out also, this is one of the first of four tracks on the record where the opening line and the closing line of the song are basically the same. Uh, Here he does tweak the lyrics slightly. The closing line is he's... Uh, just glad my boots were on as opposed to are on, but the thought is the same. And the guy appears to be living day by day. It's again, it's 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 the wheel going around. Yes, and that and that goes back to the whole theme of that they're just gl- they're just relieved to wake up in the morning. They're, they have no hope, but they just they still want to wake up in some way. As the song progresses. The question to me is because the line, of course, is, and you can't miss it, and the Western stars are shining bright again. Shining bright would generally be a symbol of hope, you would think. And, you know, is that what he's getting to here? But yet again, at the end of the song, hope seems to be lost because the next day he wakes up and all again he's got is that he's glad his boots are on. Yes, I agree that the uh, the, re- the common refrain in the song would indicate that there'd be some hope or some some shining brightness to this character's life. and But it's almost like he's saying it in an ironic way or just a depressing way. Well, and I think that that is actually true as you recognize the entirety of the song, because to me, it's all about reflecting on the past. You know, he's thinking about the scene he did with John Wayne, and that's the story he tells to get free drinks and, and people hail him for that. You know, but he doesn't seem to have anything going on at present that he's telling us about that's and that's where your line, the line that you just highlighted, comes in, right? And certainly, when you, when as you were talking about harking back to a to a familiar or a more similar, simpler time, rather, on Sundays he takes his El Camino and just goes and rides, I guess, horses with the charros in the desert. And one of my favorite things that the song it occurs at the end because obviously this is a song about it appears about cowboys. I mean, he's talking about uh, uh, saddles and and riding and roping and and all that stuff but yet as we get to the final chorus the riders on sunset are smothered in the santa ana winds that would appear to be a reference to sunset boulevard in los angeles uh santa ana winds are of course a phenomenon that occurs often in the late fall very very intense he used the right word smothering winds but there's no one riding horses on sunset boulevard it appears to me to be a reference to bikers who are riding motorcycles what do you think well first off i just want to confirm that the santa ana winds are just these overpowering waves of hot air am i am i correct in that that is correct okay now regarding the riders i, I would like to bring up that what i find interesting is that he he mixes modern and old western imagery in the same song which which is something he did in this in this hard land that's a great po- that's a great surprisingly point surprisingly enough where it's I really same, like that where it's it's very similar where he's in that song he's talking about you know I can hear a tape deck blasting home on the range I can see them bar M choppers sweeping low across the plains bar M choppers obviously are helicopters but in in, in that that narrator's mind it's him and his his brother Frank looking for lost cattle south of the Rio Grande and here the riders are whatever you caught you want to interpret them whether they be Riders on horses, which, I, as you said, were, would be unlikely, 
or the riders on motorcycles or even just riders in their car. That is true. And although well, what I will say about that is because of the very specific imagery he uses with the smothered and the Santa Ana winds, that's one of the reasons why I took it as someone who's outside. Although, of course, in Los Angeles, you could be driving a convertible. But that's a that's a very specific reference. And as we know, Bruce has lived at least part of his life in Los Angeles. The Santa Ana winds, once you experience them, you don't you, you don't forget it. Well, I can't say that I've personally experienced those St. Anna winds. but And you um, should consider yourself lucky. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go down to uh, across the San Bernardino line to go to Joe Sleepy Joe's Cafe. Uh, again, one of the uh, two most Eastry-esque songs on the record, which just for that little fact alone kind of makes it stand out a little bit less. That is true because, I mean, there's so many lush arrangements on this record and the, musically it is quite different than other Springsteen records. And then here's the song that comes along that I think is a little derivative of other past Springsteen work with the E Street Band. Yeah. Uh, certainly yeah. Mary's Place came to mind for me. And for me, it's more Johnny 99 and, you know, all the other, uh, you know, 82 to 84 rockabilly stuff that, that, he, that he's released and done. Lyrically, I do find some aspects of the song to be, you know, very interesting. First of all, if we assume that this is the same character as the previous four songs, or perhaps a similar type of character, there is something going on here that's a little bit different than those songs, because there's a, a sense of joy, and there's a sense that he finds some community. Uh, there's people gathering, they're dancing, they're having fun. I think it's an open question as to whether he's actually participating with these people, or maybe he's just an observer. Well, if he's just an observer, then it's the same guy in from Sundown, which is a, a few tracks away from now. But in that song, he is he's going from bar to bar. He's just and I'm, I'm assuming that these bars are fun places, but he's observing. He's nowhere near a participant. So what do you think the character winds up with here at the end of the song in the, in the sense that if he if he's still depressed and he's not actually a participant, do, is there any refuge here for him? For the character, um, I think there is. I mean, he explicitly says that uh, he feels the work week slip away, and he sees you out on the floor, and Monday mornings a million miles away. So I, you know, he there is some refuge there that he can take himself out of whatever miserable work he he has, and he's able to find some some refuge there. I like that. I like that a lot. I mean, it, it actually adds a layer to the song that I don't think I had considered previously. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about this. And to me, another uh, another connection I see is between this, between this song and Chasing Wild Horses is that in Chasing Wild Horses, he talks about he and his coworkers going to some some bar in town. And I see Sleepy Joe's at the, as that bar in town. I think that what you just said was really eloquent. And I think that pretty oh, much sums... I think that pretty much sums it up. So now let's move on to the next track, which is Drive Fast, The Stuntman. This one seems particularly autobiographical to me uh, in terms of Bruce. Uh, Flynn, what do you think? Well, that was my first thought when I, uh, when I heard the, that opening, opening lyrics about climbing the neighborhood's tallest tree, because that takes me straight back to Broadway. And then when he's in the in the second verse, when he's talking about being 19 and being the king of the dirt down onto Remington Draw, I I hear Bruce. That's Bruce and Asbury Park, except instead of driving a car, he's he's playing guitar. Again, here we have a song also that begins with two lines that also serve to close the song. 
which, as I've mentioned earlier, I think is, you know, indicative of the circle of life. You know, here the character gets up, lives his day, gets up and lives the next day. But he is singing Don't Worry About Tomorrow. So uh, why isn't this character worried about tomorrow? Well, you can worry, you can interpret that one way and that if they're not worried about tomorrow, they can drive faster and harder and fall harder today. Um, I'm not right. familiar I'm not familiar with any stuntmen. I don't. I don't know if that's what they're like, but that's my interpretation here. Well, and I am familiar with some stuntmen, and I don't think they're necessarily self-destructive. You know, as their general nature, uh, there is certainly a living on the edge component to uh, clearly to being a stuntman. I mean, in many cases, they're being set on fire or dropped <laughs> dropped out of planes or buildings or whatever. That's not for everyone. Uh, but here in the song, I, I am sensing that the character is is self-destructive. You know, the refrain, just drive fast, fall hard. Does he have concern that, God forbid, this could be his last day on Earth and maybe he just doesn't care? You know, if, if he dies, he dies. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Uh, but you said uh, you, you had a phrase in there that I thought was particularly interesting, which was self-destructive. We haven't seen the film for Western Stars yet, but the trailer uh, included Bruce talking in a voiceover about he's been trying to, for 35 years, he's been trying to get rid of his self-destructive tendencies. So I kind of see that in the same way here. Oh, I don't think I noticed that, but I've actually only watched the trailer once so far. I'm really looking forward to the movie, and I, it's probably going to be very illuminating and perhaps flesh out even more some of the stuff we've been talking about here. Oh, I'm very much looking forward to it. You know, just to hear those songs kind of more in a, in a live live setting, even if it's not in concert, it's going to be really cool. And apparently with a 30-piece orchestra. That's quite the orchestra for Bruce. So maybe we'll have to discuss that in a later episode. I think that would be quite appropriate. Now, I guess we can move on to the next song, which is Chasing Wild Horses. And my first reaction to this, uh, other than the uh, the similar melody to your own worst enemy, which is kind of which is somewhat distracting, let's be it's honest. It's very there. glaring. Uh, yeah, ve- it would be very interesting to hear his thoughts on that, because has he ever reused a melody to that extent? Not that I can think of, certainly certainly not on any release stuff. He has used lyrics over, of course, there's what uh, Maria's bed also shares lines with further on up the road, right? Right. And then you got Sad Eyes and Soul Driver. Right. Yeah. Of course, but, that's a little uh, bit different because uh, Sad Eyes is on tracks, not a, not a new album. But yeah, this one, I mean, it really, I, I was going to say it calls back to your own worst enemy, but it's, it, let's be straight i mean it's it is the melody it's ex- it's the exact melody and it was one of the one of the few times when i when i could actually point that out almost immediately sometimes i have to go through the song a few times before i go oh that's this song or that, that or that other song this one it was pretty immediate yeah it's it's very obvious and, and as you put it i you know it is a little distracting for me uh you know as we get into the song there's some interesting stuff going on here, but this this is definitely not one of my favorite tracks on the record. And I have to agree with you. Um, if only because this is the first song, or maybe the only al- song on the album, where I don't feel sympathy for the narrator. I oh, mean, why is that? He starts off saying it was something he shouldn't have done, and he's trying to keep his temper down, which right. is obviously some kind of 
a very difficult task because he equates it to chasing wild horses. Well, and I hadn't thought about this before, you know, but speaking of uh, calling back to previous Springsteen work, uh, does it have a little two faces feel to it? Um, I was thinking more along the lines of gave it, give it a name. Oh yeah. 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 So yeah, with the uh, references to some kind of domestic violence, this song just does not give me warm and fuzzy feelings. And that goes back to my reference to Two Faces, I think, a little bit, because in that song also, there does seem to be an undercurrent of that. The character is doing things that he doesn't understand and make him feel like half a man, which I've always taken as some kind of, uh, you know, very wrongdoing that he's doing to his partner. Right. And really, except for the second line in the song, in Chasing Wild Horses, I'm not seeing any regret. Well, and that distinguishes it from Two Faces, because I think Two Faces being sung from the perspective of a man who is very mournful and regretful of what's going on and wishes he could change his behavior. In fact, he says, at night I get down on my knees and pray, our love will make that other man going away. He's referring to the man inside himself that's doing these things that he thinks is wrong. Right. And and so at least that that character, that narrator, is trying to change himself. And other than going out to work on the Montana line, chasing wild horses. I don't see this, this guy making any effort to change himself. Well, I think you have to want to change yourself. And, and one of the things that that's one of the things that comes up in two faces. I think that's one of the things that goes on a tunnel that distinguishes it from this record. And uh, it happens on other spring scene records as well. The characters ultimately, I think, are learning and want to find their place in the world. And here, you know, there's certainly not as much of that going on. No, what I I don't, there's very little self-awareness on Western stars, uh, at least in terms of the the guys trying trying to acknowledge their faults and trying to change them. As you bring that up, it it, now it harkens to another uh, line off Tunnel of Love in Brilliant Disguise, you know, about a man doubting what he's sure of. Here, I don't know, are they doubting themselves? I I don't know. I think they're just down on themselves, period. Well, and and if you hit that, if you hit those depths, you know, how do you get back from there? Is that, I mean, perhaps these these guys don't know, right? The guys on Western stars don't know how to, how to come back. Do we even think they're looking to get back or it, it goes back to like we were saying in Western stars where living day to day, I mean, the entire goal is just to wake up and be there with your boots on. There doesn't seem to be much recognition that there's more to life than that. No. And I think in addition to not knowing how to change, not knowing how to change, they're just kind of accepting their their defeat, <laughs> basically and they're just you know they don't they don't know how to come back that's a perfect lead into the next track which is sundown now in this song in the first line the character declares i'm 2500 miles from where i want to be now i think literally and figuratively you can't really be further from where you want to be than that uh to and and the character seems to be recognizing that they're lost and you know perhaps hanging on by a thread you know and the and what this song poses to me is the question when, when you're falling like that, how do you stop yourself and get back up out of it? Well, this guy knows that he's telling himself lies just to keep that little bit of hope alive. I tell myself it's all going to j- just work out in time. 
And then that little voice in my head, all that keeps me from sinking down. So he knows what is keeping him from just losing it entirely. Right. It's again, it's those little white lies. And it also goes back to something you said in Sleepy Joe's Cafe, because here he's sitting in cafes. He he sees the lovers passing time. Well, he's got his trouble on his mind. So to answer our question that we posed earlier, at least in this song, he certainly seems to be an observer, not a participant. Right. And got to wonder if if this character or this narrator is just unable to connect with anybody at this point. Even even if the when summer's through and she comes around, who knows if that relationship will still work out? Which again is one of the main themes of the record. Right, I totally agree. Uh, one of the other things that we should probably mention on this song, the title seems very metaphorical. Now, when the sun goes down, what what does that bring in? Brings in darkness. You know, and certainly that is something, talking about threads from Bruce's career, uh, uh, needless to say, he's actually got an entire record called Darkness on the Edge of Town. You know, but uh, here the darkness seems to be enveloping the character and, and the character knows it. You know, he, he says that little voice in my head is all that keeps me from singing down, which is, I think, something you mentioned earlier. Well, in a, um, in a 1987 interview with, uh, with Time Magazine, when, when Bruce was talking about Tunnel of Love, he, he described the album, the Tunnel of Love album, as if the darkness on the edge of town had moved into the bedroom. Now, on, the, on Western Stars, has that darkness on the edge of town moved into his heart and his head? Neither of which is good. No, that would not be good. You know, one of the things that strikes me is uh, on Darkness, the album, but especially which it concludes with, of course, Darkness on the Edge of Town, the, the song in the song itself at the end. What's going on? He's on that hill fighting with everything that he's got, you know, and that's the final images of the record here. This character is hanging on from a thread and he's trying not to sink down. It doesn't sound like he's battling like that. No, I, none of these characters are battling in the sense that the that as the narrator in darkness on the, on the edge of town. And that, again, is what makes this album such a departure from just about every every record he's ever done is that there is no there's no hope. Well, before we bum everyone out with all this talk of no hope, let's look at a little different aspect of the song here. And that's the arrangement and how Bruce is singing on the track, which I find much different than what we normally hear from him. Absolutely. This is that note he hits at the end of the song is just I don't think he's he's ever gone that high before. And I certainly don't remember him ever going that to the, hitting that note in concert. How did Ron Aniello get that out of him? That's that's an interesting question. That's a very good question. We'd love to ask uh, Mr. Aniello that that very question. Especially for this stage of his career. I mean, the man is approaching 70 years old, even if some of these songs do date back perhaps even eight or nine years. It just really quite uh, cool that he's doing stuff that's, you know, so out of his normal wheelhouse. Yes, I'm hoping, uh, always hope that when he goes out of his comfort zone, he pushes himself and, and he pushes the music to a, to a new level. And I think, and, he, I think he, he hits it on, on, on sundown, certainly. Yeah, and all the kidding aside about the no hope and, and, and the depression and all that, I mean, this is a track I really like a lot. I agree with you. I'm, it's one of my faves, too. So with that, now that we've uh, agreed on that, should we move on to somewhere north of Nashville? So, yeah, let's go somewhere north of Nashville. And I got to say, this is one of my least favorite songs on the record. Lyrically, the uh, it covers the same terrain and themes as, as so many other songs on this album. Uh, Guy's blowing a good thing. 
but it just doesn't go anywhere for me. And then uh, musically, the the sparse arrangement just pales in comparison to some of the, some in the other so many of the other songs that it just it seems like it would fit better on the Ghost of Tom Joad and Devils and Dust albums. I see your point there. I think coming where it falls on the record. Well, first of all, I like the song a little bit better than you. But in terms of the musicality, I think where it falls on the record, coming between Sundown and Stones, which are such two big sounding songs with the lushness you're talking about and and big vocals by Bruce on both of them, I think it makes sense where he places it. And we know he he thinks very carefully about the sequencing of the records. So, so coming so between, so he kind of he kind of draws it back a little. Yes, bit. yes, I I think it's like almost like a little respite. Hmm. Okay, I like that. Like that. And the imagery in this song, I, I like it. You know, the second verse. I lay awake in the middle of the night making a list of things that I didn't do right. To me, that's so universal. I like when he does that. Who hasn't felt that way? <laughs> true, true. What I hear or what I connect the imagery of, of the long page is what he was talking about on Broadway when he was introducing Thunder Road. That's what he said he missed the most about being young was having the blank page ready to be written. Uh, whereas in this song... I guess he's got to assume the narrator here is older and he's not and he's filling the page with with things he screwed up and things he regrets. Oh, I like that. And you mentioned the blank page in the song. The narrator is a writer. He's a songwriter. And we're told that he has a song that has resulted basically born out of the pain of his lost love. Do we think that the tale he's singing about here is what he's referring to there it's the song so he's trying to pull her taylor swift and write about every one of her ex-boyfriends and get a top five hit out of it well um, i don't know if i'd go that far although she has certainly done a great job of channeling pain into a lot of success uh yes she has but uh this songwriter apparently has not had any success and in fact he's probably living in a van uh probably on this on the corner of somebody's somebody's farm somewhere north of nashville now I'm feeling bummed out. There's, there's such sadness on this record. It makes me feel for the characters. And for Bruce, if this was what was going on in his mind and helped inspire what's going on on this record. And I, and I think it was. That depression can, you know, can overwhelm you and really just influence everything you do. I'm very lucky. I've never really experienced that. And he really is giving a very stark picture here, I think, you know, between the combination that we know what he said in the autobiography and the way the album unfolds. I, I think it's, he, he's providing a lot of insight. Uh, you oh, know, maybe I'm wrong. No, you're not. You're not wrong at all. One of the remaining songs on the album is I will talk about that quite a bit. But uh, let's talk about Stones right now. Yeah, let's talk about it. Stones, I, this is a song that I really, really like. And to me, it, it starts the, the last four songs to me comprise an arc. And we'll talk about the other songs in a moment. But to me, what's going on in this record really becomes di distilled in an even bigger way in these final four songs. I look forward to hearing you uh, talk about that. Well, I think here we've got a character, you know, I mean... Earlier, we had characters who were just happy to wake up and have their boots on. Here, we've got a, and again, this is another song that starts and ends with the same line. I woke up this morning with stones in my mouth. Uh, you know, again, that day after day cycle 
But here we have a character who apparently just keeps, he, he, he's his own worst enemy, to, to use a, uh, a phrase that Bruce has used previously. Right. I was going to uh, point out that this is, the character in this song has certainly made his bed. That he's, he's, he's created the situation for himself by telling all those lies. Well, and, and a question here is, if you're a man and you're in a relationship and your partner is saying to you, those were only the lies you told me, those are only the lies you told me, why wouldn't you stop telling the lies? That seems to be such an interesting question. You know, what, what, what is going on here? Obviously, we've discussed these characters don't really seem to be capable of change. Right. But here's someone who's in a relationship do they not want to keep the relationship? I'm not sure. What do you think? The closest thing from Bruce's back back catalog and, and work is the intro to Dry Lightning from the Ghost of Tom Joe tour, where he said, I've, I've been in the same relationship for 30 years, just with different women. Yeah. <laughs> you know, meaning that in each relationship, he's the same. He just makes the same mistakes over and over and over again. So as someone, he, he didn't know how to change. He didn't know what to do to change. And this is that kind of like that, that manifestation of that inability to change. He's, he just can't stop telling the lies. And talking about enveloping darkness on an individual, I mean, the imagery here is about as <laughs> dark as you can get. Right, uh, when he, you know, yeah, when he's not talking crows. about the stones in his mouth, he's talking about, about what? black crows and and the dirt brown winter field and dark leaves tumbling down there's just darkness on top of darkness i think in this song yeah it's, it's overpowering i mean the, the imagery is it has quite the effect uh, at the end by the end of the song and and i love the uh rhetorical use of of the stones i is that biblical i don't i don't know my bible enough it, it seems like it might be well a uh, a quick google search does indeed confirm that the, there's a a line from Proverbs 2017. The bread of the seat is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Which obviously means that uh, you can tell lies to achieve whatever whatever ends that, that you want, but you're going to pay a price afterwards. So, what, so there's a price you pay. <laughs> there is a price you pay, and that particular price in this situation is uh, stones in, uh, in your mouth. But the, the way he, he constructs this here and, and the use of that biblical uh, phrase, it, it really is remarkable. Well, it's that, uh, it's that Catholic education that he's talked about. He went there from, I guess, what grades through eighth grade, and then uh, he wanted to get out. But as he said himself, they don't let you out. Well, it, it, I, he's put it to good use. Well, he certainly had a little bit of success with it. So uh, let's move on to There Goes My Miracle which was the, the second single, and we have to say single with air quotes these days, that, the, that they released from the new album before, uh, before the album release date. You know, to me, it seems like this guy is, you know, perhaps the guy from Stones who has now had to deal with his lies and he's lost that relationship and the miracle has walked out the door. Right. In this situation, when he's, when he's telling himself, look what you've done, he's looking in a mirror basically and say, this is what you've done. This is how you screwed up again. Uh, this song also serves, I think, uh, to begin the culmination uh, and the and the, the way he he put the tracks here in in this particular order. Obviously, is very specific. We you know we know Bruce doesn't do stuff like that by accident. Uh, I, I think he's paying off a lot of the themes that were established earlier on. Right. This is kind of um, I mean it, it mends the losing a love as well as the depression. 
the yeah. sadness and the and the lack of hope. You know, and again, and and here it's very explicit because, of course, you're beginning with sunrise, sundown. The song begins and ends with with that line, sunrise, sundown. You know, and and to the sense that we were talking about, it evokes getting up, living your day, and then living the next day. You certainly can't evoke that any further than the sun rising and then the sun setting. That is the day. Right. Yes. This is another example of guys just hoping to get through a day and then doing it again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Not much hope here. Now, when when this song came out, and I really liked Hello Sunshine, which established the record and really announced that he was doing something different, this and, and this was a very polarizing song. There were a lot of people who I they didn't like it. I don't know if they were thrown by the lushness of it. I loved it. I'm not going to lie. There have been other songs in the Springsteen catalog that, to me, they're like guilty pleasures. This has a lot more going on and is more substantial than a guilty pleasure, you know. But I think of even something like Queen of the Supermarket, which is another very polarizing Springsteen song. You know, I think I know what he was going for there. And here he's he's taken that kind of I think that kind of soaring writing, you know, and he the 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 lyrics are stronger here for sure. Well, if we're comparing this one to Queen of the Supermarket, then yeah, this one is a heck of a lot stronger. Well, don't you think musically they're they're somewhat similar? Uh, yeah, and there's a whole argument to be made that a lot of the songs, several of the songs are working on a dream using the, the arrangements that utilize a lot of orchestra or, or orchestral-like sounds. This is the next step. Not only is it the next step, I think there, Bruce found a new way of working here at least with Aniello, who produced the record. Recently, Gunnar Olsen, who was the drummer on this track and also on Sleepy Jokes Cafe and a couple of others, did an interview where he was incredibly illuminating. Apparently, he doesn't know about the silence uh, that you're supposed to live under when you work with Bruce. Yeah, there's an unwritten code of silence. Maybe it, maybe it should be written for some of these guys. We'll see if Gunnar is ever back. But <laughs> what, he, what, what he said was so great for us because he talked about the recording process. And, and one of the things that he said was that a lot of these songs started with Bruce just on acoustic guitar. Then, it, it, based on the time period that Annie Ellis talked about and, and Olsen was talking about, this must have been around the time of the 2014 High Hopes tour, because Gunnar said Bruce would go out on tour, leave Annie Ello with the acoustic tracks, and then Annie Ello would build all these lush arrangements around what Bruce had done, which really gives Annie Ello a tremendous uh, creative input into this process. Exactly. And it's so different than what uh, Mr. Springsteen of circa 1982 or 83 would have done. Yeah. I mean, from everything we know, I mean, the, certainly Control Freak, I think people, I think he said that himself, right? I believe he did. He so let go a little bit. Yeah. So he obviously has let go. But so Olsen is telling the story. And what I what I found most fascinating about it was that he comes into the studio. He's basically brought in by Annie Ello as a session drummer. And- right. He is sitting there and suddenly Bruce walks in. He wasn't expecting Bruce to be there. And Bruce <laughs> says to Ron, bring up some of the songs you've been working on. And they start listening to songs with Gunner in the room. And it turns out one of the songs that they pull up is Sleepy Joe's Cafe. And they're listening to alternate versions. One version has Matt Chamberlain drumming on it. Then there's a second version with Steve Jordan drumming on it. And then right. Bruce says to... Olsen, hey, do you want to take a shot at the song? 
And of course he says, yes. Yeah. I, he's <laughs> like, please. I, yes, I will do. Uh, I will go in the other room. And uh, funny because what Olsen says is he listened to what the two other drummers had done. And uh, Steve Jordan, I guess, uh, how did he describe it? Uh, it was a kind of a flamenco Spanish. Right. Right. Kind of vibe to it. So Olsen decided that he was going to do something a little bit more straightforward. And he specifically said he was going to, in his mind, he thought, I'm going to give the more straightforward rock Max Weinberg version. Right. And uh, apparently uh, this is uh, Sleepy Joe's Cafe. Bruce really liked it. And that's the track that wound up on the record. It'll be interesting at some point to see if we ever hear these alternates. I, Bruce generally doesn't seem to big, be the biggest fan of releasing a lot of alternate versions. No, no he has not. But just so cool to think that the same song was recorded with three different drummers. At least three different drummers. Oh, right. We we also know there was a fourth drummer on this record, Gary Malabar, who had previously drummed with uh, Bruce on Lucky Town and also a few songs on Ghost of Tom Jode. He has said publicly also he drummed on this record and whatever he drummed on, he's not on the record itself. So that's just more outtakes. (laughs) More and more outtakes. And tracks two hopefully is on the way at some point. Uh, let's hope. Let's but hope. I think the final point here is it just it's so unbelievable the autonomy that Bruce is giving Aniello in this process. We know from Bruce's past descriptions, he, he, control freak is probably the kind way of saying it. And yeah. here he he's letting Aniello build these entire tunes, and then he's coming back and hearing. And obviously Bruce is having a lot of input as well. But it just it seems like a, a, a totally different way of working. He's established with uh, Aniello. Right, which I think is, is is a great thing. I you know I think too often Bruce got too bogged down in his own creation process, uh, and he couldn't see the forest for the trees at times. And certainly letting someone else come up with different options to to take, and all he has to do is go in and say, "Yes, I like I like this version with this drummer. No, I don't like that version with the drummer." The, and this song to me, and and lyrically, even though it, it helps culminate the themes on this record. There, this is to me a really great Springsteen romantic song, you know, even though, of course, the character has lost the romance, but just the refrain, there goes my miracle walking away, walking away. And the way he's singing it, uh, there, there's a real emotion to his voice in this song that I just love. Well, if we're going to talk about emotion in his voice, uh, let's talk about a very different emotion in his voice in the next song, Hello, Sunshine. Um, Western Stars, as I've been saying, is Bruce's depression record, and uh, Hello Sunshine is the uh, is his thesis statement for that. For sure, he lays it out there. This was the first song released from the record. It set up uh, what was to come. I think it gave a really good uh, picture to the audience of what he was doing differently musically. And then the first line of the song, which is the first line we heard from the record, had enough of heartbreak and pain. It's that is the record. And apparently that was his mindset at the time when he was writing it. Yes. And I would go on to say that they did a great job managing expectations uh, by releasing this song as the first single. The lyrics obviously lead into the rest of the album. And certainly the sound is not it's not E Street. It's not Seeger Sessions. It's not even the solo acoustic stuff that we're used to from uh, the Ghost of Tom, Jode, and Devils and Dust. This was a totally different direction. Well, and in the press release for the record, he did reference California pop from the 70s. And I, I think a lot of fans, as soon as they heard this song, 
everybody's talking came to mind from Midnight Cowboy, uh, Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head by B.J. Thomas. It, he definitely did capture that type of song here, and I think he does it really well. Oh, he, he does it very, very well. And he really and he does a great job of, of capturing depression just in these in these five verses. And he's coming from a point of he kind of fe he feels comfortable in that depression to a certain extent. He had a sweet spot for the rain. Uh, unlike if, unlike Tucson train, I might add. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, he, he always liked his walking shoes. But he acknowledges you can get a little too fond of those blues. So he knows that while he's he's gotten very comfortable in that depression, at the same time, he realizes it's not as healthy. Well, my favorite line in that regard is you fall in love with lonely, you end up that way. It, it, it does seem to be very much recognizing some of the themes that we talked about earlier in the record about characters being observers and not participants, uh, characters not necessarily having connection here the character is definitely saying to himself and to the audience you know this is a problem i know that if you i, I may enjoy being alone part of the time but that may not be the best thing for me oh exactly and what i what i hear and especially in the refrain hello sunshine once you stay is that he's hoping that little bits of the non-depression the the actual clarity when he's not depressed, would would stay, and obviously, but he doesn't know how to make it stay. I, I think that's the question of the record, isn't it? Uh, how do you make it stay and 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 make yourself and in, in, get yourself into a better place? This song is a little bit different in that he's the narrator is acknowledging in this one that he's he's sick of that, but except for just hoping that the uh, the sunshine will stay he doesn't know how to how to get out of it and that's you know that's very similar to to mr springsteen in real life i think uh people will probably be upset that i i bring up waiting on a sunny day but it does seem relevant here uh well it, it, yeah we can we can we can talk about sunny day you know with their good points and bad points to be made it's it, it, but the, the thing about that song is, again, the character's waiting on a sunny day, but I, I think there's more success at the end of that song than, than there is here. Uh, well, 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 there's certainly more hope in, uh, in Sunny Day. I mean, yes. again, there's no hope on this record, and this song isn't any different. Uh, the, di the big difference with this particular song, and I guess in this album, is that they, they they seem desperate when he says hello when he asks hello sunshine won't you stay that's kind of a more of a pleading than anything else just hoping that it stays and just and he he won't be uh engulfed in heartbreak and pain you're right and i, I think one of the things that distinguishes a song like this to something like sunny day as you point out is that there is a lack of hope here. Although I do think it is a big step forward for the character on the record that he is acknowledging that there is some kind of problem and he would like to fix it. He may not know how, but he does know that it's there. And I think that that does distinguish it a little bit from some of the tracks that came earlier, although narratively it makes total sense. Oh, I agree. You pretty much nailed it right there. Oh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. Um, I do believe we've covered uh, Hell and Sunshine pretty extensively. Uh, any, any, any more I'd thoughts so. to add? 
No, I don't think so. I think we can move on to the final track, Moonlight Motel. Which, uh, to me, is one of the most beautiful songs in, that he's done. And uh, it's a perfect closer for the album that really does sum up uh, all the narrators, all, this, all the characters on this album. There's one word that I can d- use to describe this song, and that's devastating. The song, it really emotionally just grabs you. In fact, I'll make a big statement here. Uh, this is my favorite Springsteen track probably since Magic. What he does here, the the way he weaves the story together and really makes you feel for the loss that this character has suffered, not only does it serve as a perfect capper to this record, I think even as a standalone story, it's just, it's gorgeous. I agree. It, it's definitely the most compelling story he's he's told in lyrics, at, le- at least since Magic. I, I think that's a fair statement. In fact, you'd probably have to go back to the Magic Closer, Devil's Arcade, which to me is, even though I think it has a slightly different outcome, is is constructed in as compelling a way. Oh, that's good. I like that. I, I, I had not made that made that connection or made the, or saw that parallel, but I like it a lot. Um, another another song which comes to mind, at least in terms of the narrative here, is Downbound Train. Where, How, what, uh, oh, I, well, you know, that's one of my favorites. It is one of your favorite songs. I know that. Uh, just in the way that they the couple obviously broke up. And then later on, you know, he has a dream. He has a dream about her. And then he goes and then Downbound Train, he, he goes back to their wedding house. But in this case, that he goes back to the Moonlight Motel where everything began. Uh, you're 100% right there. And I, to, there is a line in this song that to me, and it, the line is that it's better to have loved. Yeah, it's better to have loved, which of course is taken from Tennyson. The power of that line as it comes into this song, especially as the closing track of the record, it's just, a, it, to me, it's the character recognizing how important connection is even if connection has been lost. I like that. My thought was that this song has the longest or at least portrays a longer relationship than any other song on the album, just because of the kids and bills line. To me, that's one of the reasons why the song is so special. It's, it it is telling a story that is, that runs for decades and, and the characters experience the the lead character experiences something in this song that I don't think is experienced anywhere else on the record. There's a lot of loss elsewhere on the record, but here the loss is is profound. I mean, when he gets in the car at the end and he's riding on that dark road back to the motel and he, it's basically, he he's remembering his life. Uh, he pours a shot for himself. He pours a shot for his lost love and he pours a shot for the motel, which is what started that entire relationship. It's it, it just, it's it devastating was the right word. What struck me about the part about going back to the hotel is like, I mean, not only does it kind of echo back to, um, to downbound train, but it also goes back to a couple stories he's told in the past. You know, first off, there's the intro to spare parts at that opening show of the tunnel of love tour, where he, where he talked about going to his old neighborhoods and, driving around and looking at the old houses. The Audrey story, as we, as I think the fans refer to it. Okay, yes, the Audrey story. And then again, two years later, he talks about it at the first Christic show when he was introducing my father's house. Uh, he said he would go back and uh, he would be up at nights and he'd, he would 
drive back to his old neighborhood, back to his old houses. And he finally said he went to see a, see a, a shrink about it, a psychiatrist. And the doctor said, uh, well, something bad happened there and you're going back hoping you can make it right again. And he, Bruce finishes that story by saying that the shrink said, well, you can't. And what I hear in, in, um, in, Moonlight, in, in the Moonlight Motel is that he realizes he can't, he can't go back and make it better. He knows that. Um, so he's just saying, you know, here's a shot for old times and let's move. I'm going to have to move on. This is, to me, a, to- a song totally about memory also and, and how powerful that is. This is a man, I think, who's lived a large chunk of his life. And obviously, if we, if we do think it is Bruce, he's closing in on 70 now and remembering the pain. At the, at the end, he seems to be reminding himself, as I mentioned, it's better to have loved than have not loved at all. But there is, there is decades of wounds here. And, and that is why I think it is the perfect summation to the record. Everything the characters have experienced up until this point culminates in this song. And to the extent that I was talking about where the f- final four songs to me make up like a mini suite, this to me seems to be the payoff to that too. You've got Stones, a character who's telling lies. There goes my miracle, a character who's lamenting that his actions have caused his miracle, his love to run away. And then you've got Hello Sunshine where he's battling with these demons and the fact that you can wind up being alone. And here he is alone in the final song. And he's sitting there in that parking lot and reflecting back and does does he does he like what he sees? I, I I don't think that he does. What do you think? Not not at all. He's uh, I can definitely see this song as being this. The narrator is the same one decades later from uh, basically almost every other song in this record. I mean, you know, you you focus on the on the previous three songs, but it wouldn't be uh, much different than say, um, you know, even the try the title track or. Uh, Drive fast, um, chasing wild horses. It seems like it's all the same guy, just you know, a couple of decades later. One other thing that strikes me now that we're talking about it is the song does end with him driving on the road, which sort of brings it full circle. He does come to a stop at the Moonlight Motel, but there's of course nothing there at this point. It's it's a shell of a building, and the the album opened with him on the road uh, searching. So in a way, as we've talked about the wheels going around and the day by day living did he intend that the album starts with uh, someone on the road and it ends with him on a dark road uh, you know reflecting on everything that's come before well i would take it one step further and say on hitchhiking hitchhiking the narrator is he's excited about being on the road he's excited to see what where he's going to go what he's going to do and then at the end as you said when he leaves the moonlight motel parking lot he has nowhere to go and he doesn't and he really is i mean and that's depressing more than depressing it's it, it is devastating and the arc that he created here uh, this is an incredibly strong piece of writing by bruce not only this song but the entire record and at this point in his career to have come up with this just as a fan it's unexpected, not that he would be such a great writer, but this is material that I don't think you generally expect this late in a performer's career. No, not at all. I've actually been surprised that it hasn't gotten more traction in the general in the general music world. People can often say, 
try to say, does Bruce have a Time Out of Mind album in him, which was Bob Dylan's big comeback album back in 89. And I, I don't see how this is not. I, I don't know what's going to happen, and I make no predictions with Grammys or anything like this, but this should be right up there at the end of the year. It really should. I would love for that to happen. Is it, you know, I wonder if the fact that his his lack of promotion. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't even done an interview with Rolling Stone, has he, for this record? No, I I think although the film is going to come out, and I think the film is going to speak for him in a certain sense, and we'll see if he does any promotion when the film comes out in October. But he's let the record speak for itself, and and I think in a way it's uh, symbolic of how powerful he must think it is because the the work does speak for itself here. And it's a very powerful statement that this this album is making. And I certainly hope that it's this music is not totally ignored in the future. Um, I think it would be tough to translate some of this stuff or most of it most of it to an East Street an East Street tour. But at the same time, if he ever does another solo tour or a non East Street tour, I would love for him to dig deep into this one. Yeah, I, I certainly hope that would be the case because. These songs, they're going to get an airing in the film, and hopefully they're going to get an airing at some point so that the fans could see them in person because they are deserving of that. One of the other things I wanted to bring up before we close is, as the closing track, Bruce does sequence the albums very specifically. That's something we mentioned earlier. The closing track of other Springsteen records are also equally compelling to this one. I mean, if you think back to... Darkness, which we already mentioned, Wreck on the Highway, Valentine's Day, My City of Ruins, at the end of the rising, the refrain, Rise Up. You did make the point earlier in the record, uh, earlier in the podcast, that this is a record that is different than the other records in his catalog. And And I think that this song definitely pays off on that. Wouldn't you agree? I do. I guess what you're saying, what I hear you saying, is that every other album seems to finish seems to finish up on some kind of up note, whether it just be hope for the future or defiance in the, in the face of darkness on the edge of town, or even the somewhat sarcastic reason to believe. But this one, again, there's no hope at the end. And to contrast that, as we mentioned earlier with Wrecking Ball, that album really ends with quite an upswing where the characters are experiencing hope. You've got uh, land of hope and dreams, and then you've got we are alive. And and what is the refrain there? We are alive. It's it's affirming that we are moving forward, and whatever's in front of us, we're going to deal with that. Oh yes, exactly. Which is not what I'm hearing on Western Stars at all. I did wonder in looking it over now, Madam Morris Banks, which is the closing track on Devils and Dust, and I think is the, is the closest one. It's certainly a sad track. One of the things he does there is because it's the story is told in reverse, it actually ends with the lovers on the banks, you know, before the tragedy happens. So even there, while the song is sad, I think the final image is not sad. It's, again, it's an image of connection, which is what's missing here. But the other tracks, I mean, Wreck on the Highway, even again, tra- tragic but he, he winds up in bed with his love and he, he does have connection and he does take stock of his own life in that moment after seeing that horrible tragedy on the side of the road. Right. I hadn't thought about that aspect on Madame Morris Banks, but that's 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 a good one. That's uh, that's a good one. 
another album we referenced, uh, Va Tunnel, uh, you know, Valentine's Day, I think it's similar to those other songs and the way the other records close that there, there is certainly hope at the end of Valentine's Day. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Uh, what I hear in Valentine's Day is that the guy is rushing home to, to be with his with his love, and that the relation and that the relationships, you know, they may have their ups and downs, but in the end, they're they're worth it. So, I definitely see some some hope and some you know a positive positive note that tunnel ended on. It's really sort of a mirror, not a mirror image, a reverse image to this one, in the way that one ends. And I, I think that tunnel is. As I as I, when we started this conversation, uh, it's one of my favorite records of all time. It it is incredibly cohesive, exactly like this record is. But even though he was, and we know because of what happened out in front of the world that he was obviously going through some marital issues as Tunnel of Love was being written, uh, you know, and then that played out, and we know what happened. He he still had hope there, and I, I think at the end here. I guess the question is, does the songwriter have hope? I, I think that he does. I, I certainly hope that he does. Uh, we've seen before Broadway, not again, not the spoil with the tree, but that is in and of itself a sad moment. But I, I do think I'm left here, even though this song may not provide the, the typical note of hope that Bruce ends a record with, that he, the songwriter, still has some hope. Well, I would hope so, because I don't think he's done. Uh, I certainly... Uh, I'm very he, much looking forward to to him recording that uh, that E Street album that he talked about uh, back in May. Well, not only is he not done, I, I think this is one of the most fruitful periods of his career. I mean, you you, you got Broadway, you got uh, the book, you, now you have Western Stars. Uh, we have the Western Stars film coming out. Uh, you know, as we were mentioning a, a minute or two ago, I mean, for a man who's about to hit seventy as an artist, uh, it. It seems like he's bursting with energy to put out some new stuff and and to continue the conversation with his fans. Well, I'm not sure how much new stuff we're really talking here because if only because Western Stars is predominantly predominantly written in 2010, 2011. But he, he but did he, he did stick with it, you know. He, it, it, he did, yes, he did. Could have been did. on tracks three, you know, 20 years from now. He, he did stick with it and keep it as a. Uh, a very cohesive record that is a very strong piece of work. And I think he knew that. And that's why he ultimately decided even after the extended period of time, they were apparently working on it, that he was going to get it out there and, and let the world hear it. And yeah, he's been and, talking and, about it since 2014 or Ron Aniello did anyway. And for that, you know, I, I really appreciate that he put this record out. I think that it's, it, it's, it's a great piece of work. Oh, absolutely. I think the word you used earlier for a Moonlight Motel is the best word to describe the, the whole album, and that's just devastating. It's beautiful, it's sad, and I'm really, really glad he didn't end up shelving it alongside the, the 94 Relationship album or those 86 Nashville sessions. Exactly. And I, I think that's our show. The first one is in the can. Oh, love that can. Love it. Love it a lot. Yes, uh, we're very excited, and we hope everyone out there enjoyed listening. A little bit of business to take care of. None But the Brave is a presentation of Bull Market Entertainment. Please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, and definitely feel free to give us five stars. Oh, we love those stars. All the stars we can get, we would love. 
on the web. We're at nonebutthebravepodcast.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at nonebutthebravepodcast. And don't forget about us on Twitter at NBTB Podcast. That wraps it up. We'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.